From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. Religion for Life is a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck, minister at First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website, fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life's website is religionforlife.com. On Religion for Life, we've been asking the question, what is the future of religion or what is the future of faith? And I've been speaking with a number of thinkers from around the world and from many different perspectives on what is uh, religion becoming? Uh, What has it become? is it, is it uh, something that we're leaving behind? Is it something t- totally different? Is it something quite similar? And all those answers are, yeah, sure. And uh, we're going around the world again today uh, to Australia uh, to talk uh, with a progressive theologian down there uh, and, and a minister who's practiced for a number of years to talk about what is the state of religion in Australia and what is the state of this word progressive. What does progressive mean? My guest is Rex A.E. Hunt. Uh, Rex Hunt is uh, talking with me via Skype from Australia. He's a progressive theologian, a liturgist, and a social ecologist. He's a retired minister of the Uniting Church, a progressive theological thinker for over 40 years. His sermons and liturgies are each week spread far and wide uh, via his personal website, rexaehuntprogressive.com. He's the principal author and editor of the Canberra Affirmation in 2008, author of Cards, Carols, and Claws, Christmas in Popular Culture and Progressive Christianity. Against the Stream, Progressive Christianity Between Pulpit and Pew. Uh, And with John Smith, he's edited two additional progressive collections, New Life, Rediscovering Faith, Stories from Progressive Christians, and a book we're going to spend some time talking about today, uh, Why Weren't We Told? A Handbook on Progressive Christianity. Welcome, Rex, to Religion for Life. Good to be with you, John. I was wondering a little bit, uh, you are a busy guy. You are uh, active in many different projects. and including progressive religion in Australia. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an overview of religious life in Australia. I'm thinking that if we think of Europe as more secularized, the United States uh, pretty well Jesus-saturated, uh, and yet at the same time, the largest group uh, even in the United States, the largest growing group, I should say, is uh, uh, the non-religious and I was wondering where Australia fits in that. Is it more secular, uh, more religious? Is there a way to talk about that? John, um, Australia is like any other Western country where uh, people are involved in um, religion at various uh, levels and from various perspectives, and people uh, are not involved in um, institutionalised religion or within churches. So it, it's, uh, it's a common mix uh, that we find in the Western world. Australia's history is somewhat uh, different to um, America. Uh, it was uh, settled 200 years or so after uh, the Americas, and it was established as a, um, uh, a prison uh, for uh, the rejects from uh, England. But it was interesting that when, um, when um, Philip and his uh, ships arrived in Australia in 1788, um, he really was commissioned to set up a colony uh, that uh, would honour the um, Church of England uh, prayer book 
and Church of England Evangelical Theology. And certainly during his um, oath of allegiance at the foundation of the colony, um, it uh, included a rejection of the doctrine of transubstantiation, uh, presumably to ensure that no taint of Romanism ever entered even a prison colony. So uh, ah. that's the sort of uh, history that we've had. Um, Australia was uh, commenced as a prison colony, both for convicts and, of course, for the soldiers who, um, who accompanied them. Things have happened <clears throat> quite a bit since then. And uh, uh, perhaps to just let you know that there was a census taken uh, a couple of years ago here in Australia. And uh, some of those uh, figures are interesting. Um, although the Christian religion is um, still prominent in Australia, uh, there's been an increase in those reporting uh, an affiliation to non-Christian religions and those reporting no religion. And so you are a retired minister of the Uniting Church. Is that What, what kind of uh, church is that? Yes, it's a, it's a Protestant church. It um, came into existence in uh, 1977 after about 70 years of discussion. There were three churches that came into that uh, union, uh, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, and the Congregational Church. It um, quickly established itself as a progressive or radical church, but um, when looking back over the last 30-odd years um, on that uh, history, I think it got its um, reputation because it took seriously the areas of social justice. Mm -hmm. um, but I, from a personal perspective, can't say that it took seriously any radical theology or uh, biblical criticism. So uh, the term which uh, I use, the neo-Orthodox, are still ruling the roost out here. So what is the state of, of progressive uh, theology in Australia? Uh, yes, the, um, the progressives have come to the surface, I think, in the last uh, 20 years, um, which I find um, helpful. Um, as a result, I think initially of... Um, people like uh, John Robinson from, um, um, from England, but more so from uh, Bishop uh, Jack Spong and his uh, very regular visits uh, to Australia. In 2007, I um, worked with a, a group of uh, colleagues and we established the first Common Dreams Conference for Religious Progressives in Australia and South Pacific. And um, that was the first time that um, large groups of um, people who would call themselves progressives, either involved in the life of the church or had perhaps left the, uh, the, the church and uh, were going solo or perhaps establishing study groups, uh, those sorts of things, uh, they came together and uh, it was a great, uh, great festival a great empowering uh, opportunity. People found out that they weren't alone. And so we've had um, another one in 2010 in Melbourne. Um, the first one, Jack Spong, of course, was our keynote presenter. Uh, the second one in Melbourne uh, was Greta Vosper from Canada. And our third one uh, happens in September. 
in Canberra and uh, Marcus Borg and Bruce Sanguine uh, will be our keynote presenters, supported by about 20 to 25 other progressive um, theologians and thinkers from Australia and New Zealand primarily. So how many people will come to this conference, do you hope? Well, we already have registrations for um, 500 people. Mm, um, that's a good the turnout. conference, the, the first one in, um, in, in Melbourne, uh, I think we got around about 1,400 people. And when you will meet for this conference, uh, uh, this uh, Common Dreams conference, what will be the topics discussed? There, there are lots of uh, um, uh, topics on, on the agenda. Uh, for instance, um, the whole matter of uh, what it means to be engaged with the public, uh, um, public theology, uh, that will be raised. Um, different aspects of um, progressive biblical scholarship uh, will be aired. Um, we will also be looking at um, specific things like what does it mean to, um, to pray um, when there's a, not a personal God, um, we also have um, a couple of presentations from um, um, progressive uh, rabbis. Um, and David Felton, of course, from uh, Living the Questions will be uh, summing up. So it's quite a wide brief. Uh, and it's a brief which covers those who are in the institution and seeking to reform and those who have stepped outside the institution of the church and um, seek, I guess, to reconstruct the whole um, flavour of uh, religion within society. So it's the coming together of those two, um, if you like, separate groups. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my name is John Sheck, and my guest is Rex Hunt, a progressive theologian, liturgist, and social ecologist, and editor and author. Uh, he's speaking, me, speaking with me from his home uh, just north of Sydney in Australia, and we're talking about uh, progressive theology. And you said something uh, in regards to this Common Dreams conference that caught my ear about praying when there's not a personal God. And I wanted to talk about that as well as, as liturgy, uh, what is liturgy and worship uh, when God is no longer personal, and what are the options? Uh, in, in your own uh, work as a minister, uh, what what has that meant for you? For example, how would you say, what is prayer? Prayer um, for me in my ministry was enabling people to share their concerns and their joys, to begin to focus on the needs of others, and to focus on our own needs and to see if there were actions that would follow from that of a cooperative nature, of a shared nature. It's not about sending uh, signals to some sort of um, God man in the sky or, or that sort of approach to things. So we would light candles to, um, uh, to share our um, concern. We would have focused thoughts about um, others, and there would be invitations as to how we might be able to respond. Very sort of wide, very collective um, approach to what we would call uh, prayer time. And sometimes um, 
there is a need, I guess, because we're human beings and we're always in communication using language, speaking with I, thou, uh, and which language of directing something to another is appropriate? It, it, would, you, would you find that as well, as that there is a time in which a liturgy of prayer is addressed to God as personal, even though we don't think of God as personal? Does that make sense? I, yes, I, um, I guess people struggle with that yeah. um, because of the juxtaposition. Um, when, we, um, when we use language, for a lot of people, that's, um, that is almost a, a concrete um, example rather than a symbolic way of um, uh, sharing ideas. So, um, but certainly it's a matter of how you imagine, say, for instance, the divine or the sacred or, or God. Um, and in my liturgies, I would use perhaps different metaphors as opposed to the traditional ones. Uh, what I mean by traditional ones is, you know, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. uh, is a typical um, traditional approach to, um, to prayer. Perhaps to try and change that, it might uh, be something like, Storyteller God, we gather to listen to each other. So there is, in that sense, um, the naming of the sacred at the beginning, but it tries to be different and tries to signal something about, hey, this is not a telegram going north. <laughs> Very good. A telegram going north. It, it is also a sense of, of the location of the sacred as exposed to north or, or external as that sacred is within and among us. Exactly. Uh, your book um, that you've edited recently, it's now being uh, it's now published by Polbridge Press and available is uh, Why Weren't We Told? A Handbook on Progressive Christianity, uh, compiled and edited by Rex Hunt and John Smith. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about this book and how it came to be? Yes, I, I guess it uh, came out of the work which um, I did at the Center for Progressive Religious Thought, uh, which we established in uh, Canberra in 2002. And as a result of that, um, me uh, tripping around to various uh, groups, uh, both small and large, um, making presentations and engaging in discussion uh, with, with people. And I think it may well have been following uh, a presentation at CPRT that Val Webb had made, uh, another person who's been on your program. Um, over coffee afterwards, I made the comment to her, Val, I really think we probably need some sort of a handbook which could, um, f- uh, if you like, flesh out some of the uh, characteristics of progressive religion and progressive um, Christianity uh, that uh, we can put into people's hands so that um, they can, one, share it with uh, other people who are struggling or are wanting to know what is this progressive stuff that you're on about, uh, and secondly, to know that uh, they are not alone, that they're not a freak, um, they're not against the stream all the time. And so um, I sat down and began to um, think of the people that I could approach um, to, one, write some cameos, just very short 
350, perhaps 500 words max, around one word topics like we've been doing this morning around prayer, God, sacred, uh, those sorts of things. Then um, um, I thought, well, look, it would be also good to expand that into some longer articles, not, not great tomes, PhD theses or any of those sorts of things, 1,500, 1,700 words around some of the issues. Now, I got positive responses from some people and uh, other people were unable to, uh, to write or it didn't fit their time frame or they were committed to another publisher, those sorts of comments. And then I had a conversation with uh, Paul Allen Lachlan, and he said, why don't you do a chapter on heretics? And I said, do you know someone who'd be interested? He said, I'd like to put my hand up. <laughs> so, um, so it sort of came together like that. It, um, it, it grew out of all sort of uh, proportions um, in the sense that um, uh, we have something like 30 contributors from America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Britain, um, we've got something like 60 cameos and reflections, 25 articles. We've got stories from congregations. Um, 15 heretics are looked at that could inspire progressive, that sort of thing. Put it all together and uh, Paul Bridge Press uh, heard about it and um, said that they would be interested in um, publishing it. And uh, that's what happened in December last year. And the title of this collection is... Why Weren't We Told? And in the foreword, of course, Lloyd uh, Gehrig uh, writes the foreword. He was also on this program from New Zealand, um, talking about uh, that experience that people have of hearing this information of biblical scholarship or whatever and feeling, wait a second, why hadn't I heard this before? Or as you mentioned, um, feeling that they were alone, that they had heard it, but maybe nobody else had. And that seems to be a common experience, doesn't it? It is uh, very common, uh, getting a little less now because of uh, the fact that progressive uh, Christianity and progressive religion is more out there, but in its early days, it certainly was. The other thing was, it's a matter of being honest for mm -hmm. preachers, and I've always tried to be uh, honest in the pulpit, which my collection of sermons tries to reflect, and when people actually hear that from a minister in a sermon, in a church, um, their response has been, well, how long has this been around? Why haven't I been told this before? And so people have felt insulted that their intelligence couldn't be trusted. And uh, so we thought that that was a good title for a book. Why weren't we told? Yeah, why weren't we? Why, why wasn't there courageous and honest and open preachers who'd wrestled with this stuff in theological colleges and seminary, and then were game enough to trust their people rather than to comfort and to provide peace and unity. They're the heresies of today. Very well put. And uh, what was, and, and since you were one of those preachers who was honest about what you learned, what was the, uh, what was the reaction to that in your ministry? Well, I also need to be honest and say that there are some situations where you had to be very careful. Mm -hmm. And um, the other situations um, uh, were that you could engage um, in uh, being totally honest and people would explore with you. It, 
I agree. It is horses for courses, as we say out here in Australia. Um, you have to know your congregation, your audience. And for instance, when I went to Canberra for the first 12 months, I remained myself, but I visited people in their homes, drank tea in their, um, in their kitchen and listened and talked with them. And 12 months later, when I went to the church council and said, look, this is what I've heard. I'd like to establish a theological discussion group. They said, go for it. I said, these are the sorts of people I'd like to discuss. And some of them said, well, I know Jack's bong, but who's this other bloke, et cetera, et cetera. So we had 25 to 30 people meeting for, for 12 months, um, sharing uh, papers and books and discussions, and that animated people, and it gave them permission to say things. And so they looked for that in my sermons, and so together we grew and shared and trusted each other. To, at the end of, of that 12 months, two years into the placement, I then um, said, look, uh, let's establish a centre for progressive religious thought. And uh, it went from there. My guest, if you're joining us on Religion for Life, is Rex Hunt, uh, speaking with me via Skype from Australia. He is the editor and compiler of Why Weren't We Told, a handbook on progressive Christianity, a progressive Christian thinker and minister uh, for many years. And we are uh, discussing the nature of progressive. And what, I, what you just told me is about people sitting around and being honest about questions is really, uh, in a sense, a, a definition of progressive. Uh, not so much what the answers are, but the very process of permission giving, uh, uh, working in community together to go ahead and uh, overturn all those stones and see what's under there. I, I like the, um, the comment which is made at the uh, Canadian Centre for Progressive Christianity with uh, Greta Vosper. And uh, it says on their website, progressive isn't a place, it's a state of mind. And the next step from wherever you find yourself entrenched, whether in the church, in your workplace or in your relationships, a progressive perspective is characterized by openness, passion, creativity and a willingness to explore beyond wherever you are at the moment. That is a very I'm good. I'm really name. warm to that. Yes, yes. What about institutional churches? Uh, even your own uh, denomination, United Uniting Church. Um, wh where where are they going? Is it are the are they digging in uh, opposed to progressive uh, thought? Uh, is it open? What, what do you what do you see as uh, the future of of church and and where it might be going? Um, I believe institutional Christianity um, in Australia, um, wrapped in uh, what I referred to earlier as neo-orthodoxy or, or perhaps uh, uh, following, still following Karl Barth, uh, is not only stumbling but in, in, in actual fact showing all the signs of dying. And um, that's, that's a shame. Um, certainly within our theological colleges or seminaries, as you call them, the majority of uh, people on the teaching staff come from that uh, neo-Orthodox tradition. Um, as a progressive, um, I've had conversations with um, um, some people in theological colleges um, to try and get that perspective into the training of ministers. Um, we have not succeeded. That's going to be a subject at the Common Dreams Conference again as to how we can do that at an international basis. Um, 
certainly there are some issues which the churches um, are strongly uh, involved in, and that's the areas of social justice, particularly my own uh, church, the Uniting Church. But there is still strong waves of conservatism, uh, fundamentalism, um, and uh, anyone who ventures outside um, uh, their clearly defined paddock, um, of course, is regarded as being a, a non-Christian. So institutionally, it's struggling, it's declining. Um, the greatest number of, of increases uh, in, the, in the census was um, those reporting um, no religion, um, and the increase was most evident in young people with um, something like uh, 28 to 30 percent of people in the age 15 to 34 reporting they had no religious affiliation at all. So we're, we're losing another generation. Speaking about the non-religious uh, and that growing group, um, oftentimes churches look at that and think, well, that's fresh meat uh, to find a way to go and attract them or something to the cause. But I, I keep thinking there must there's there another option of partnering with them on their own terms for uh, uh, the, the good of uh, social justice or the good of free thought. Or what do you how do you see engaging those who really have no religion or are not interested in religion in terms of of, of common human perspectives? I think we've got to uh, provide alternative ways of uh, communicating and engaging with people. Uh, there is a movement here in Australia, it uh, may well be in, in the States as well, called uh, uh, um, Religion in the Pub. Um, so instead of, if you like, uh, tr assuming that people have got to come to uh, a sacred God box to uh, engage in things uh, theologically or religious, uh, it's the total reverse. Um, that means uh, trying to line up a, um, uh, the, a publican who will at least allow it to happen. But that sort of engaging with people. When I was in uh, Canberra, when the uh, um, gay and lesbian community held their festival, um, uh, St. James said uh, we would like to be part of that and show support. And um, and so they welcomed us. But the only <laughs> interesting that the... the uh, the only condition they put on my presence was that I should wear my clerical collar because they wanted um, to, um, people to see that there was a clergy person who was accepting involved in the festival. Um, so that's another area where we need to engage. But certainly just, just looking at, at people as potential pew fodder is not being honest to them and it uh, is not engaging with them. We need to be where they are. And so that's in the, in the green groups. It's in the spirituality or religion in the pub. Uh, it's in the gay and uh, lesbian festivals. Not to recruit, but to stand alongside of them and to engage with them uh, and to learn from them as they learn from us. Rex Hunt has been my guest on Religion for Life. He is, uh, you can find his liturgy and his sermons and his work at rexaehuntprogressive.com. Uh, his book uh, that is recently compiled is Why Weren't We Told? A Handbook on Progressive Christianity. That's available via Polebridge Press. Uh, Rex, thank you for the time today, for being with me on Religion for Life, and for your work. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure.
And of course, if you happen to be in the neighborhood, uh, don't miss the Common Dreams Conference, September 18th through the 21st at Australian National University in Canberra, Australia. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. More information about this program, uh, upcoming shows, and links to podcasts can be found at religionforlife.com, religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1 on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Be well.